Well, you know, there's a few things that you're not supposed to talk about, and you're really not supposed to talk about them in church, and one of them is politics, but uh, uh, I'm going to talk about it just for a little bit here. Wow, what a political landscape that we live in this morning. My message is not on politics, by the way, for all of you who are like, oh, this is my intro here. What, a, what an interesting political landscape we're living in, huh? For those of us who are um, older, there's never been, a, there's never been um, a season like this. Jonathan, there's a, can you turn the, the sound system down a little bit? Yeah. I don't know if that'll work. Politicians are going to make our nation great again. They're going to bring back hope. They're going to advance the cause of the oppressed. They're going to bring down the wealthy. They're going to level the playing field. They're going to protect us from our enemies, proclaiming we will be united and happy again. I heard that quote recently. <laughs> wow, you can make that happen. That's amazing. I guarantee it, somebody said. Crowds are active, and they're talking about politicians like never before. I have never talked to more strangers about politics, and they're the ones that are approaching me. Usually I can talk to anybody, and sometimes it becomes, but I've never been approached by more people that want to talk politics with me. Everybody just wants to talk about it, usually not with great um, joy or happiness. People are scared of the enemy, the one who is not like us. We're scared of ISIS. We're, we're scared of the pro-LGBT. We're scared of the anti-LGBT. We're scared of pro-gun people. We're scared of anti-gun people. We're scared of corporate raiders. We're scared of Robin Hoods. We're scared of Muslims. We're scared of radical Christians. We're scared. And not only are we not scared, are, are we scared, but we might have a little bit of anger towards one of those groups of people. We might even, as a society, have some hatred in our hearts. We might even begin to be seeing people as not humans anymore, but ones who, because they disagree with what I believe in, are worthy of scourging, ridicule, silencing a voice, and God forbid that maybe some would think but have already demonstrated the silencing of life. Because we disagree. Fear is being played as a weapon by our politicians. It's being used to scare you. To cause you to fear. To cause you to hate. To cause you to judge. To cause you to distance and divide and separate. And we're all looking for a savior. Politically, this world is looking for somebody who will lead us to a better place. Anyone who stands in the way maybe needs to move aside, to be removed, some say. Statements and articles are written daily. I, I read most of these sentiments yesterday in the news. Get rid of the Muslims. Silence the Christian right. Down with the gay activist. Down with the homophobic zealot. This is war. Spoils to the victor. Banishment to the loser. The stakes are high. Send us a messianic savior. 
Send us a political champion. Send us somebody who will help us. People are looking for answers, and they're afraid that they're not going to get them. You know, it was no different in Jesus' time. The issues were somewhat different, but the fervor of prayer and the angst was the same. A Roman oppressive ruler, rulership, a different religious system seeping into the culture, liberal religious people, zealous religious people, sellouts to the other side, zealots to keep things pure by the sword, unrest, poverty, oppression. God sent us a peacemaker. Send us a leader. Send us a Savior. Send us a Messiah. Enter Jesus. Luke 4, verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee and the power of the Spirit and news about Him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised Him. And He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, in recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. In the eyes, and I'll add my commentary, the eyes, the riveting eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on Jesus. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Then Jesus said to them, surely you will quote. Oh, wait, did I, I, missed, I missed a verse. It's actually cut out of my, my little deal. He began by saying to them, I'm like, wait, the most important verse I just missed. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Then we'll move on. Jesus said to them, verse 23, Surely you will quote the proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell, tell me, Do you hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum? And truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this, and they got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. The hometown boy... Jesus has grown up and become a man. Could he be the fulfillment of Isaiah 9? The one who will come by the way of the Sea of Galilee? Listen to Isaiah 9, verse 1 through 2. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. 
In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For there in Galilee, God revealed that Israel's opportunity to fulfill its national destiny, spoken of in Exodus, would first be heralded in Galilee. Could Jesus be this Messiah? Could he be the one who sets us free? By the time he arrived in Nazareth, Jesus had ministered about a year. He was very popular. So it was natural that the synagogue leader would ask him to speak. Rumors of his great teachings in the synagogues had been heard now and far around his hometown. They had heard about the authority he carried himself with. Rumors had it that he'd even, even during one of his teachings, he'd cast out a demon. Right in the middle of his message. Mark 1 talks about it. It says, they went to Capernaum and went to the, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. Not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their, man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with this Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed and they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Everybody in Nazareth, Nazareth was a buzz. The word was out about Jesus. This small town drama was at its height, was at its best. Front row seats in the synagogue. Jesus stands to read. The regular scroll, scroll is handed to him. They were reading from the prophet Isaiah. He finds the passage he wants to read and then he reads it. Let me read it to you again. This is what Jesus said. So it would not be uncommon in a synagogue for a for the teacher or the, the person who's to speak to stand, to read the daily readings. There'd be prayers. There'd be daily readings. There'd be um, an exposition or a commentary on the things that were read. So Jesus was just following the order of the synagogue, and he reads out of Isaiah, and he reads this. And I'm going to read it again because this is the, the gist of my message today. I want you to hear this great teacher, possible Messianic, political savior, social savior, religious savior, speaking in what he was declaring. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. I am anointed by God. He's proclaiming that he is the anointed one. And he says this in a second, right? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. favor. He rolls the scroll back, and he sits down. The, the, the sitting down actually is the place of teaching. So you stand, you read, but when the, the teacher sits, that's when he starts to teach. So he sat down to teach. That's when they're fastened on him. He just read this passage of Scripture. This is a messianic, prophetic word. He's been doing all these things we've been hearing about. Is he going to proclaim that the beginning has come of a new era? 
They're waiting to hear what he has to say. Eyes are fixed on him. His reputation has preceded him. Something great and profound was about to be said, or maybe a show of spiritual power. People were about to bust with pride and swell with excitement as they heard and saw the great teacher work work his magic from Nazareth. Could this be the Messiah? And he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. (gasps) This could be it. This could be it. Jesus, all indications are he continued to teach after this statement, the profound words he just described for himself hanging in the air, people looking wide-eyed at one another, the anointed one, could it be Joseph's son, really? And yet we've heard of the teachings, the healings. Could he be the one? Was this the, God, the time of God's fulfillment? Is this it? And he's proclaiming the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. Does he have that authority? And what does it mean? What is the acceptable year of the Lord? What is this year of Jubilee that he's talking about that's referenced in Leviticus 25? Every seventh year was a sabbatical year for the nation when the land was allowed to rest. And every 50th year, after seven sabbaticals, there was a setting apart of the year of Jubilee. And the main purpose of this special year was the balancing of the economic system. Slaves were set free and returned to their families. Property that had been sold to somebody was reverted back to its original owners, and all debts were canceled. The land lay fallow as man and beast rested and rejoiced in the Lord. This was an awesome, awesome time in proclamation for the people when it, when it transpired in the land. And Jesus had certainly brought good news of salvation to bankrupt sinners. He'd brought healing to the brokenhearted. He'd brought solace to the rejected. He had delivered many from blindness, from the bondage of demons, we had just read, and disease. He's also saying that this was what my kingdom is going to look like. Good news to the poor. Freedom for prisoners. Recovery from sight of blindness. Oppression overcome. Debts, sins forgiven. Inheritance restored. But instead of marking this day as the day that the shot was heard around the political world of Israel, Jesus scolded his listeners for being ones who would not believe unless they saw it with their very own eyes. The audience took exception to one of their own number, Joseph's son, making such impressive claims for himself. They wanted some visible proof of the validity of his claims before their eyes, like the mighty works which he, which he was rumored to have done in Capernaum. Prove it to us, hometown boy. Are you really who you say you are? Other authors like Mark in the Bible reveal that Jesus was astonished by their lack of faith, even though they had heard all that had been done. And very few miracles were done in Nazareth because of this, it says. And he, he, he goes on and says, a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. And their admiration turned into antagonism. Why? Because Jesus began to remind them in those two illustrations. He not only scolded them for their unbelief, but he began to remind them that this wasn't just for them, but it was for the whole world. That he was going to invite Gentiles into this picture. 
And then he reminded them that God had already visited Gentiles and foreigners with his grace. And they were furious. Not only had he said that he was the Messiah, that he was the fulfillment of this scripture, but he was opening up their privileged position to people that didn't deserve it. He was talking to the people on the other side of the fence. He was talking to the people that I don't agree with, that I don't think deserve it. That are not worthy of God's love. Remember the testimony last week of the Iranian, I mean the Iraqi believer who had gone to, to eastern uh, to, to Germany um, a few weeks ago and saw four Iranians who who were not believers in Jesus, but had come to know Jesus in January, baptized for their faith, and he saw them. And he was like, Oh my gosh, I I'll never see Iranians the same way again. Jesus came into the synagogue and said, This message that I proclaim of freedom, of hope, of restoration, of redemption is for everybody. And it's especially for those that you hate. It's especially for those that you are not considering right now. It's especially for those who have faith to receive and believe. And if you sit in a religious, unbelieving position, a judgmental, arrogant position towards me, the one who's delivering the message, Jesus is saying, and to those I want to love, then you are the ones who stand in the place of judgment. It's very interesting in this passage of Scripture that he quotes Isaiah, but the passage that he quotes from, he doesn't finish with the last sentence in the, in the prophecy of the day of the vengeance of the Lord that is coming. But he implies that those who don't receive my grace. Our Lord's message of grace was a blow to the proud Jewish exclusivism of the congregation, and they would not repent. Imagine this this. This hometown boy saying that Jews had to be saved by grace just like the pagan Gentiles. That everyone needed that kind of salvation. St. Augustine said, They love truth when it enlightens them, but hate truth when it accuses them. Is that true of us? We love it when it enlightens us and helps us, but when the truth cuts, it's hard to hear. And in their anger, the people tried to throw him off a cliff because they rejected not only the truth, but they rejected their king. We've been talking the last few weeks about a, a king and a kingdom, a kingdom that doesn't look like this world's kingdom. I started out with some illustrations of what our kingdom in this world looks like, but the kingdom of Jesus does not look like the kingdom of this world. It's an upside, as Brendan said a couple of weeks ago, it's an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom turned on its head. It's a kingdom where the poor, where the, where the lowest are esteemed, esteemed to be the most important. Where the poor are seen to be ones who are to be elevated and to be provided for. For those who are oppressed or have, who have no power are called to have empowerment. For those who have no hope, to be given hope. It's not the survival of the fittest in the kingdom of God, ladies and gentlemen. It's God helping all who need survival, all of us who are not fit. Nobody's fit enough to enter the kingdom of heaven without God. That's what he was saying. Nobody can do it. Nobody can be religious enough, good enough, 
the right color enough, the right economic enough, the right education enough, the right social cause enough. Nobody can be enough without the grace and the love of God, the mercy of God. And yet that's what Jesus was proclaiming. He wasn't here, really. His desire was not to rebuke. His desire was to bless. His desire was to communicate and herald, as as Brendan communicated a couple of days ago, I mean a couple of sermons ago, that this word in in the scripture, euangelizo, this verb in the passage of scripture is to announce the good news of a king. I'm coming to help you understand that a good king is here that wants to do these things for you. Would you receive it? And all they had to do is say, yes! But they didn't, they wanted to say, yes for me, no for you. Yes for me, not for them. And who are you, Jesus? Are you really our king? Today we have the same opportunity to respond to, to respond to or reject the King Jesus and his upside down kingdom. Will political saviors today be able to fulfill their promises? Come on, guys. Do we really believe it? And I'm not not shaming anybody. There's no human being that can fulfill what everybody's promising. And furthermore, will they correct systemic problems by demanding that the other side change? Will we actually change the nature of our nation by saying, if you don't believe with me, you shall be silenced? You should lose your job. You should be ridiculed until you decide that I am right. Has that ever been a, a, a method that has worked at any level of our society? Why do we think it's going to work today? Because that's not how people change. People change when their hearts have been transformed by a higher ideal than they can perform or accomplish themselves. And that's what God was offering through Christ. To accomplish something that we cannot accomplish on our own. Until we gain a profound understanding of the shift that Jesus, in our, that Jesus brings in our thinking and in our loving, we will not see society, little less a single person, profoundly changed from the inside out. Jesus and Him alone brings this hope for a person in a society. He declares it again today. I am the anointed one from heaven, the Savior of all mankind. I can not only make America great again, I have made all things great again if you trust me, if you put your hope in me. And His kingdom has come and His will has been done on this earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Do you believe that? Is that a good thing? What does Jesus' kingdom look like? Let's just unpack it really quickly. The poor receiving good news. I did a a little devotional with our staff this morning out of this passage of scripture and I gave them this thought and I'm going to I'm going to give you this thought as well as we go through these 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 three or four different illustrations of his kingdom. I want you to think this way. We're in the middle of a look series and this look series is predicated on the thought that as a church we are looking outside our lives and we are dreaming with God and we are saying God How would you like this church? How would you like me? How would you like our community to live in such a way that we are extending your kingdom 
We are bringing the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom that we live in, to the world we live in. God, what would it look like for us as a church to receive your direction or your compassion or your vision for this area and to live it out passionately for you? And so I, I said to the staff this morning, I said, I want to put, put a card in your hand, an invitation card. You can even take two or three if you want. I want to put some invitation cards in your hands, and I want you to think as I read through this passage of Scripture, if this were really true, if this were really the promise of our God in heaven, who would I give this card to? What group of people would I give this card to? So when I hit a topic that Jesus illustrates as being a part of who he is in the kingdom and what his kingdom looks like, I want you to think about those cards in your hand. Jesus said that I bring good news. I herald, I hark, good, hark, hearken, good news. The king has arrived to serve and honor and to love the poor. What was he saying? When I asked the question this morning, and I didn't give people a long chance, so no, there's, there's no judgment on any of my staff or the people that were surrounding me because they only had a minute, and we took the first answer. But we, we, we rightly said, somebody rightly said, that God was bringing, poor, bringing wealth to the spirit of man. I mean, this is my, this, nobody said these words. This is my summation. That God was eradicating the poverty of our souls. And he was coming through his work that he would fulfill later on in his life by his death on the cross, in his resurrection from the grave, in his conquering of sin and death. He was giving us the opportunity who are all of us who are spiritually bankrupt spiritually impoverished to be set free and to be born again to have salvation to have life to be rich in spirit and i believe that's true those who boast in riches in this world very possibly might be poor and naked in the next or are poor and naked in the eyes of god And those who are poor in this world, the scripture says, can be the richest people in the world. And Jesus, in Revelation, said it this way. He said, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one of them. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Jesus is saying that we are in our own acquiring of wealth and acquiring of spiritual and physical goods poor without Him. But we are rich when we place on ourselves the life that Christ has bought for us. But is this scripture by Jesus just talking about the poor in the spiritual sense? I don't think so. I think he's also saying, my kingdom, when it comes, will eradicate the systems of poverty. That it will be about setting people free from the injustice of this world. Why would he want us only to be spiritually set free and still die under the oppression of the systems of this world that cause poverty. I think God wants to eradicate poverty in our world. 
He wants us to have eyes for the homeless that we walk by. He wants us to have vision for the housing projects that are, are hidden within the neighborhoods of those who are wealthier. He wants us to take into consideration the plight of our single parents that work two or three jobs or work multiple hours or who come exhausted from their normal job straining to make a living and to provide. He wants us to open our eyes to any place where poverty needs good news. And he wants us to be the extension of his kingdom to those in need. Did you know that 12.9% of residents in Waltham alone live below the poverty line? 13% of your neighbors live below the poverty line in America. I think he might want us to open our eyes as a church to see. Freedom for the prisoners and those oppressed in spirit. Freedom from shame. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the patterns of rejection. Freedom from being orphaned and overlooked. In spirit, Galatians 4, verses 6 through 7 says this, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. How appropriate on Father's Day. Daddy, Father, I have a Father in heaven who loves me. When Liam got up, he said, You know, I don't know my earthly father, but I thank you for the fathers in this room. I thank you for the father who has passed away, who loved me like nobody else has loved me. And I know Liam, I know he would say, and thank you, God, my father, who has loved me in ways that I can't understand and helped my mom care for me and love, love me in a way that I, I couldn't have experienced outside the love of Christ and the body, the, the church body. You're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has made you also an heir. He has given us the opportunity to know him as our heavenly father. But he also wants freedom for the prisoners in this world, doesn't he? He wants freedom for the oppressed. He wants those who are slaves and the sex, sex slaves and labor slaves, those who are oppressed for other reasons, who are born weaker or are born into systems that don't give them a chance to succeed. He wants us to be the hands and feet of himself to help them be free. How many of you know that in, just a couple of years ago in Wellesley, a prostitution ring was busted. Two massage parlor owners were accused of being a part of human trafficking right here in Wellesley. And let me tell you something. From talking to people right here on Moody Street, right under our nose, there's human trafficking happening. I guarantee you. There are people that are being enticed from other nations, people who are have no resources, no income, and are trying to figure out how to live, and that's how it happens, and someone offers them an opportunity, and they are trapped into a system of slavery that they can't get out of, right around us. What are we to do about that as a church? Hey, well, we're spiritually free. They'll be free in heaven. Just let's preach the gospel to them. Yes, let's preach the gospel to them with the conviction that Jesus not only saves our soul, he liberates our lives. Maybe he wants to open our eyes to see. Maybe he wants to give sight to the blind. 
we talked about at the beginning of the message, but 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They can't see it. I wake up every day, and I don't know why. There's so many things that I could wake up happy about or concerned about, but almost every day I wake up and I go, God, would you please pull back the darkness of our culture? that calls right wrong and wrong right. We live in a day where the scripture is fulfilled, where we actually believe that the very things that that are abhorrent to God are really great things. I was reading an article the other day about the sexual situation in our country has probably had something to do with the LGBTQ issue, but the quote that the Washington Post or the New York Times used as the expert on sexual issues in our country was the leader of the porn industry. And it was quoted as if he was the expert. Are you kidding me? We are so blind, so inside out, confused because we've been blinded. And Jesus is saying, I can set you free. I can take off the blinders. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, it's not going to be more talk shows and it's not going to be more editorials and it's not going to be more picketing that opens the eyes of blind people. It's Jesus If we want, and this is what God says, you know what, Sean, there's nothing else you can do but roll out of your bed onto your knees and pray. And then as I open eyes, walk in with the hands and feet and the heart of Jesus and love people. But until I open eyes, you got to pray. Are you interceding that eyes would be opened? Are you banding together as prayer warriors to believe that the blindness of this culture would be opened? But what about physical eyes. The power of God is among us to heal not only blindness, but physical disease. Does God want to heal disease? Yes. Kingdom come here now and forever. The year of the Lord's favor. Not just a year, but I believe Jesus was saying the year forever of favor for those who believe. So as we conclude, Jesus has lived, he's died, he's risen, he's ascended, he sits on his throne, having poured out his spirit on us, his kingdom has arrived. He delivered the promise when he was here, and now he empowers us to be his ambassadors. All authority in heaven has been given to us. What are we waiting for? They're poor out there. They need to be made rich. There are oppressed and enslaved people out there. They need to be set free. There are blind, sick, and hopeless people that need to be healed. And Jesus says, Ted, I want to do that. Anybody with me? Anybody with me? I want to do that. I want to do that. And so he's asking us, Come along and walk with him. Who are you handing your tickets out to this morning? Stand up with me. There's a little, there's a little gift in that illustration. It's this. A ticket has been handed to you to hand out. Maybe you got two or three. Maybe you've asked for four or five. Ask for a lot. 
But guess what? You can, you can keep one of those tickets. Some of you might be here and you say, hey, I'd love to hand out tickets, but I have, I, I have some oppression in my life I want to be free from. Well, you know what? Jesus said, hold on to that ticket. I want to help you. I've got some addiction or I've got some deliverance that I need to be free from. Praise the Lord, Carl Gloss. Carl Gloss, stand up for me. Stand up for me. Praise the Lord that Carl is free. Hey, listen. He got saved 12 years ago. He got delivered five. Do you think that God loved him any less in between the 12 and the five? Do you think God loved his family any less? Do you think God was any more uh, uncommitted to Carl? No, God was radically committed to Carl. And he knew that he was on a journey to set him free. And part of Carl's freedom was the church. Saying, Carl, we love you. We believe in you. We, we, we love your family. We're going to walk alongside of you. And I can tell you 500 stories about the glosses and how God has come alongside of them to love them. But one day, in the context of his faith in Jesus and the power of community, he said, you know what? I think I can make it. I'm going to stop drinking. And Jesus, the anointed one, delivered him. Not just by some lightning bolt from heaven. That did happen in his spirit. But I can tell you that over the last five years, Carl has struggled and wanted to take a drink. But he had the power of the Holy Spirit in him, and he had the community of his family and the church around him saying, Carl, you're a new man. You don't have to go that way again. Am I telling the truth, Carl? God wants to deliver Do you have a card in your hand? Are you holding on to it? Jesus says, that's okay, hold on to it, receive. Are you giving it away? He wants us to open up our eyes. 